it was back in 2013 and we were living in New York City and I came home from work one night and there was a thread up package on our kitchen table. This is Anthony Marino, president of ThreadUp. And my wife sort of gestured to me as I walked in the door and she said, hey, to look inside that package. I kind of, you know, looked at sure, you know, and I sort of reached into the package and pulled out a really good looking cashmere sweater. And I said, oh, this is nice. His wife looked at him with a knowing smile and said, it's used. And I sort of gave her a look and I was like, used by who? You know, like, what are you talking about? Anthony was intrigued. She said, I'm sending the kids clothes in to them that the kids have grown out of, and I'm getting credit to shop on ThreadUp, and I'm buying great women's clothing, and it's all used, and it's like new. And that sweater is like a $300 sweater, and I bought it for $80. She'd take the clothes, put them in a bag, and ship them to the company, then scour their site for an item she wanted at a discount. My wife looked at me very seriously, and she said, you need to go work for this company. This was 2013, and New York was one of the few places where ThreadUp was operating at the time. The idea of buying secondhand clothes online just wasn't as commonplace as it is now. I can still remember in the early days going to talk to retailers and brands about used apparel, and we would get some skeptical looks, like why is anybody going to buy used clothing on the internet? We left some of those meetings with our heads down. But Anthony knew from his own family's experience that the company was doing something unique. They were filling a real gap in the market. We only wear about half of what's in our closets. Most of the things in all of our closets, and our data has proven this out time and time again, are like new. Piles of like new clothing just sitting in our closets. What was stopping people from cashing in? Well, maybe you've sold secondhand clothing before and you already know. It's a hassle. Talk about an industry that wasn't sexy. Thrift stores were not seen as being sexy places. Buying used wasn't seen as being a sexy lifestyle choice. We used to have fierce internal debates about whether we should even call the clothing used. Should we call it pre-loved instead? Should we call it secondhand? Should we try to come up with some other euphemism? But now uh, we don't even, we don't have those debates anymore. We call it used, we call it secondhand, we call it what it is because consumers by and large see wearing used and buying used and shopping used as a, as a badge of honor as opposed to a stigmatized behavior. Consumers are increasingly aware of their impact on the environment and trying to find ways to have less of an impact without uh, contorting their lifestyles too much. ThreadUp combined a true knowledge of their customer and their shifting and often conflicting ideals with data collection and tech to rewrite the narrative about secondhand fashion. We saw this incredible opportunity where if we made it really easy for people to purchase those items, if we started to build a brand narrative around um, the benefits of shopping secondhand, we really believe that we could transform how consumers think about resale. I'm Elise Hugh. And I'm Josh Klein. And this is Built for Change, a podcast from Accenture. So Elise, Mm -hmm. sometimes I know that our actions look contradictory, especially when it comes to our shopping. 
Oh, yeah. I am full of contradictions. I contain multitudes, <laughs> you know, because I think that climate change is the biggest threat facing humanity and the planet. And yet my decisions don't match up to the urgency of the threat. Right, right. Same for me. I know when I buy stuff, I've got this long list of different criteria I'm trying to meet. And usually I succeed in some things, but not in others. It's, you know, it's not like I'm always shopping the same way week to week or even day to day. Right. We are not so easily defined. We're motivated by a lot of different things. Yeah. I do want to be a responsible citizen and a responsible shopper, but I'm also having to figure out a budget when that's getting harder all the time. Plus, my life is busy. Tough to balance. Well, like you said, we contain multitudes, and today we're going to talk about some of those paradoxical habits. And we'll learn how businesses can keep growing by cracking the code on who their customers really are. I mean, the easiest way to think about it is just in my own house. This is Beiju Shah, chief strategist for Accenture Song. He spends his days thinking about how to keep businesses relevant. But at home, he's just dad. So we are we're aggressive recyclers. No plastic straws. The discussion recently was about whether to go on summer holiday, whether to go a different continent, and if it's appropriate given the emissions. So the discussion was actually quite short because for the first time, my two sons actually agreed on something. They said, look, Dad, we shouldn't feel guilty. Life is short, and the plane is going with or without us. You work hard, we should live a little. That decision could have been seen as a contradiction to the family's commitment to sustainability. Or is it the kind of compromise that all of us inevitably make every day as we're making decisions for ourselves and our families? And so the kids are not alone, as it turns out. What we're finding is coming out of the pandemic, Customers are now admitting to behaving inconsistently and think doing so is very human and totally acceptable. So obviously people are complicated. We have needs and wants that don't always line up neatly, and that's just as true when we're shopping for food and clothes as it is when we're deciding how to relax during our vacations. And Beiju says this phenomenon isn't new. Inconsistency of behavior isn't new. So I appreciate the poetry of gangster rap from the 90s and some of the pop music today. I appreciate fast fashion, but I also appreciate luxury brands. I appreciate shopping at boutiques, but also mass retailers. Historically, companies have operated based on market research that reduces people to very streamlined profiles. It's been about simplifying customers so that businesses don't have to deal with all that messy complexity. For instance, I am a woman in the under 50 age bracket, a mother. I live in California. Therefore, I may be the perfect customer for a new vegan meat substitute, which is placed on the health store's shelves. One of the most fundamental issues has been something quite rational, which is organizations try to simplify by putting each of us into neat little boxes. And they need to do that to operationalize new products, go to market, customer service. So anytime you get to a statement like Gen Z wants this or B2B customers need that, you do have to get down a few levels to really understand what's happening. But these days, if businesses try to pin me down like that, maybe they miss out on the fact that I'm, you know, busy. I might not have time or energy to drive to the grocery store, do my shopping, then get home and make dinner. You know what? Sometimes I'm willing to hit the fast food drive through We all went through a radical reassessment of our personal values, of what matters, and how we show up. And this is what's really manifesting what we call paradoxes, paradoxes in values and behavior. So, for example, like Beiju's family, two thirds of people are worried about their impact on the earth. 
but almost the exact same number of people say they are so focused about the price of things they buy that it will lead them to lower cost brands, even when they know that the way those things are made is bad for the environment. The research is quite clear on this in terms of what is driving some of these paradoxes, and it's really a sign of the times we live in. So external factors like inflation, like public health, like social movements and climate change, what we call life forces, they're basically turning almost everything we know upside down. And the list of practical and ethical considerations, frankly, keeps getting longer. So with people facing more complex and frequent decisions than ever before, we're now seeing 60% of people say their priorities keep changing as a result of everything going on in the world. We heard from people who are environmentally conscious, but are still ordering very frequently from big online retailers because they need the convenience of getting the packages daily. We heard from people who amazingly go to fast food restaurants regularly because of convenience and cost, yet they feed their pets premium food. That kind of contradiction brings a lot of judgment. This is something we would usually feel bad about. But that's where Beju's research comes in. He's finding that more and more people are deciding it's okay to be paradoxical. We are all unapologetic in terms of what we're demanding businesses do for us. We expect them to recognize that we're imperfect and diverse. And this is really what the fundamental difference is. Customers are making peace with their internal nuance and the, the complexity that is human. So this is an acceleration of a drumbeat that existed well before the pandemic. That new twist in how people are approaching their lifestyle is creating a new challenge for businesses. We're saying one thing and doing another at a faster pace than ever before. And businesses are struggling to keep up. Even for large companies with a record of success, a playbook that worked for reaching customers in 2005 or even 2015 just doesn't work the way it used to. Companies still have a very linear, perhaps simplistic view of customers' lives. And this is really forcing them to redefine their strategy, their offerings, and the way that they compete. So th the fundamental trap here is most companies are chasing what they think is relevant to customers, products and services, marketing, customer service, et cetera. And this disconnect is noticed by customers. What we're seeing in the research is two-thirds of people wish companies would respond faster with new offerings to meet their changing needs. And at the same time, executives across sectors think their customers are changing faster than their businesses can keep up. So there is a mismatch, and this mismatch puts retention rates at risk. And it really constrains companies' efforts to attract new customers. This isn't a hopeless situation. There is a solution to tackling this complicated paradox problem. Beiju calls it life-centricity. For me, life-centricity is fundamentally about evolving from consumption to contribution. So really focusing on how you can contribute to your customers' lives, not what they consume. And it's, it's really a transformational mindset shift. If you have needs outside of the transaction you're having with any brand, and there may actually be an opportunity for them to help you and build loyalty with you beyond that point of consumption and transaction. And, well, nobody wants to be thought of as just the value of cash in their pocket or the string of numbers printed on their credit card. Everyone wants their complexity to be embraced and catered to. You have to kind of empathetically embrace customers as they demand to be seen, right? Multidimensional, imperfect people, not walking wallets. Understanding each person with this level of complexity means evolving away from one-size-fits-all solutions and service. 
because we're paradoxical and sometimes make these trade-offs, what people are really looking for is businesses to help them not have to choose between their values. You have to see differently. And by seeing differently is you have to understand what your customers' needs and wants are completely as humans. Okay, you have to demystify that. Begin looking at customers as people and figure out what they need. Yes, I need new jeans, but I also don't want to waste the resources of the earth to help create that new denim. And then, and here's the key, focus on how you as a business can help me avoid making trade-offs. Then you have to solve differently. You have to solve differently by providing new products and services that really address their needs for today and tomorrow. You'll have to evolve everything from your leadership mindset to the way you operate. You'll, you'll have to evolve the way your brand shows up uh, internally and externally. Because to help solve these paradoxes, a business might need to change its business model. At the very least, it needs to change its goals. For example, this vegan fake meat business may realize I may not have time to cook every night. To solve for this paradox, they may begin offering prepared meals in the health food store. So you have to simplify. And by simplify, it's not just helping your customers simplify their lives. You have to apply extraordinary simplification to your own business, to your own operation. And that means, for instance, breaking down silos of marketing and commerce, breaking down silos of retail and online. If a market research team shares data with the product team, they may discover that yes, non-vegans buy our product too. And so we can put our product in more places than a health food store. We could partner with fast food chains and give people a sustainable option when they need to pick up a quick dinner. So our analysis actually found that companies who are committing towards this journey, they're actually gonna outperform laggards with an annual growth rate that's nine percentage points. So that's 900 basis points higher. The numbers make it clear. Beiju says that for a $10 billion company, the old playbook is likely to mean revenue shrinking by a billion dollars over the next five years. But if a company of that size commits to life centricity, it could mean the exact opposite, revenue growth, even in the general pandemonium of today's world. You're actually much more resilient. You're three times more likely to outperform on speed to market. You're five times more likely to outperform on customer lifetime value. So it's, it's really not optional. Ultimately, it comes down to a business mindset shift. It's a willingness to break open those traditional tidy little market research boxes and figure out who your customer is and what their values are. Shatter previous assumptions. And only once that happens, a business can leverage technology to try to mitigate trade-offs, use its data to speed up their reaction time, and inevitably give their customers more choice than ever before, allowing them to be entirely and unapologetically themselves, contradictory and human. It's a relationship. You start with a point of empathy with your leadership team to understand where they actually are versus where they need to be. And of course, you start with empathy for your customers and not just the transactional side of your customers, but their whole lives. In the future, you're not gonna drive loyalty just by having great products. You're going to create loyalty by making sure that those products and services and the experience is creating value for your customer's life today and tomorrow. At least I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm always being torn between trying to do the right thing and the convenience or the cost. You know, like I, I like to ride my bike all around, but sometimes it's just more convenient to take the car. On the other hand, sometimes the car is just too expensive and we don't do the trips that we'd plan to otherwise. Yeah, no, all my family expenses have gone up this year as prices have risen. And so it makes choices more difficult. 
Right. I think people everywhere are trying to, you know, navigate that trade-off. But then we also have habits that we're really used to, or we want convenience. And so it is cool that businesses are trying to reach us in creative ways Mm -hmm. when we are facing these contradictions. Yeah, it's like, I'm not inclined to go back to a business if I feel they're just trying to raid me for cash. Sure, When I'm sure. buying something, I want the seller to treat me with some respect, you know, to, to see me as a, as a person. Right. And it's not like every business has to meet every need we have, you know, do yeah. what you're good at. But it does feel nice when a company kind of understands which pieces of the puzzle it's offering me. Exactly. So to spend a little more time on what it looks like when a company does treat their customers as whole people, we're going to go back to ThreadUp, which is embracing the paradoxical nature of their customers to innovate and grow. The fashion industry is in this real conundrum because the industry is built on mass production and then um, heavy discounting. Make lots of product, make it as cheaply as you can, sell it as fast as you can when it doesn't sell discount it when you can't sell it after discounting it, dispose of it, burn it, hide it, whatever it takes, and then start over again. Anthony says that secondhand and vintage has become more popular in recent years, especially Gen Z, which is known to be more environmentally conscious than older generations. However, they also want to stay up to date with trends and they still want clothing fast. They want all the benefits of sustainability, but they really don't want to compromise on quality on price, on speed. I think we see ourselves as a force for change in the fashion world and not so much to disrupt the consumer experience around fashion. We think fashion should be fun. It should be an adventure. It should be filled with discovery for shoppers. But are there things we can do as innovators at ThreadUp to make shopping for fashion more sustainable? Their business model is designed to deliver on all these paradoxical expectations. Instead of you going to the store, buying something, putting it in your closet and stashing it in storage or throwing it away. Instead, that flow looks more like, hey, you go to the store, you buy that item, you put it in your closet, you wear it. And when you're done wearing it, you put it in a thread up bag, you send it back to thread up, we sell it to somebody else. The item is always on the move. It's either being worn, um, it's taking a maybe a, a brief rest in your closet Um, If that brief rest gets too long, it goes back out into the world to thread up for us to find a new new owner. I think we have a very strong and sharp point of view about how people behave when it comes to clothing they don't want to wear. People had 50, 60 percent of the items in their closet that they don't wear and that generally they don't want to work very hard in cleaning out that closet led to one of our key innovations, which was um, our clean out bag. Uh, where you could go to the ThreadUp app or site, order a, a hamper-sized bag that we send to you for free. You take that back and fill it up with clothes you're not wearing anymore. Or maybe you're a parent with kids who have grown out of everything they own in the last six months. Those go in the bag too. Now you slap a smart label on it and it gets picked up at your door. Simple, right? And it took a lot of work for us to make that so simple because sort of think about it. We know that the closets are filled with different brands. And we didn't want to put our customers in a position where they had to sort of start to make separate piles of things out of their closet. Then the bag arrives at a distribution center, but its journey is only beginning. We open up that bag and we then have to take this piece of clothing that, remember, doesn't have a price tag on it. 
It really doesn't have any information. It just says, it just presents itself in a very pure fashion. It arrives as an anonymous, but potentially very valuable object. And so we have to divine from photography, from uh, human in interactions and, and judgment, from our historical data sets, what that piece of clothing is worth. And if you think about just how many items ThreadUp processes every day, it wouldn't work for an employee to sit down with an item and do individualized research. A significant amount of automation helps us process clothing at, at very, very large scale. The things that's, that's kind of most fun to see is that everything's always moving, you know, in the distribution centers, nothing is ever quite still. They're automated facilities, we're constantly improving them, and they're really powered by data and technology. At every step of the way, employees are in the mix, being assisted by automation, but also being freed up to do the things that only a person can do. There are still incredible people in those facilities who bring their sense of judgment of fashion and style and quality to bear. Finally, the incoming clothes are loaded and organized onto the website, ready to find their new owners. But that required incredible innovation um, in logistics, in reverse logistics, in data, in photography, in algorithmic color correction for the photography on the site so that we could list and process hundreds of thousands of items every single day. So it wasn't enough for ThreadUp to just say, okay, we want to help people shop sustainably and affordably. They had to invest in advanced data and logistics technology in order to make that promise scalable. We used to say that, hey, we're, we're, we're not even really sure we're in the fashion business. We're really in the data and logistics business. And ThreadUp, we don't, have, we, we don't just have data about customers. We have data about hundreds of millions of items of clothing across 35,000 brands the sell-through rate of that clothing over time, the margin we achieved at a given price for that clothing over time. So at ThreadUp, there are several data lakes for brands, for sizes, for shoppers. But they don't just use insights from data analysis. When it comes to the ways we can understand the people behind the apparel, learning the details of a particular customer experience can be just as important. So every time a, a customer comes to shop on ThreadUp but then doesn't come back, in a certain number of days, they get an email from, from me and from some of my colleagues that says, hey, where you been? And you'd be surprised how many people write back to that email and tell us where they've been. They may say to me, hey, Anthony, thanks for reaching out. You know, I'm just really busy lately and I just haven't been back, you know, but thanks for writing. And some will write back and say, hey, Anthony, your shipping times are too long. Get with the program. You know, what are you guys doing over there? So we have lots of big data, but I find that sometimes the insights that ground me are the small data that comes from uh, reading 100 emails from customers and then determining you know, how to kind of calibrate and take action. And staying in close contact with his customers is important because... Younger shoppers uh, were saying to us, hey, um, I'm addicted to fast fashion. It's fast, it's cheap, and it helps me to keep up with my friends on social media who are every day posting their outfit of the day. So we saw this real tension in, in the minds of younger shoppers where they were addicted to fast fashion, but they were, they were saying in the research, we wanna get off the drug. 
In an on-brand way of speaking to the problem, they set up a 1-800 fast fashion hotline. So we came up with this idea of being able to call this 800 number. They even hired an up-and-coming actress to provide voiceover that would play when a young shopper was feeling the urge to buy a $5 polyester dress on an online fast fashion website. And essentially have her talk you off the fast fashion ledge and say, hey, don't do it. Let me explain to you why you don't need that item. And so that was really the genesis of the idea. It really came directly from the psychology of our customers. The caller would be reminded of their values, but they'd also have the ability to leave confessional voice messages after the tone. And they'd be reminded that they could always turn back to ThreadUp to find very chic vintage pieces sustainably. We talk a lot about our values at ThreadUp. All of those values try to do every day is to really create an environment of people who are learners and people who are teachers. Because when you're trying to inspire a new generation of shoppers to think secondhand first, there is no available playbook that really tells us what to do. That point of view allows them to be authentic in responding to customers' sometimes paradoxical needs, and that has staying power. And as I think about the consumer brands that will be the most valuable in the next 10 years, I think they'll have all those attributes but they will also have purpose. They will also be able to take purpose and turn it into profit. Elise, as businesses are trying to stay relevant, they need to get more serious about how those services and products actually help people navigate the challenges Mm -hmm. that they're facing. The ways their services or products really contribute to the people buying them, managing the cost of living while also aligning with their values. Yeah, there's so much technological change right now and people want businesses to meet us where we're at. That's the key to unlocking growth. So to learn more about the trends in today's episode, visit Accenture.com slash built for change. Special thanks to Accenture's Beiju Shah. And to Anthony Marino for talking with us. Built for Change is a podcast from Accenture. More episodes are coming soon. Follow, subscribe, and if you like what you hear, leave us a review. 